Hello and welcome to the London Insurance Lawyer Podcast. I'm Phil Bratt and today I'm joined by Henry Nelson Case, a solicitor, content creator on TikTok, Instagram and LinkedIn, and champion of mental health in the workplace. We talk content creation, working from home, wearing suits and always on culture. Let's get into it. Hi, Henry. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Long time no see. So you and I have come a long way since uh, <laughs> since our Saturdays together trying to make sense of the Companies Act. Yeah, just to clarify, Whilst we're doing... Saturdays spent together, we're on the LPC. <laughs> well, well yeah, yeah, I guess they were. Um, Don't want to sign any rumours. <laughs> so, I mean, it is a long time um, since we, we sat in the room together. Um, and I mean, you recently you did a TED Talk. So you've come an extraordinarily long way from us yeah. sitting there together. Uh, can you take me back to the beginning um, from how you started out in your legal profession or career all the way up to that TED Talk? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thank you for having me. And yeah, so as, as you mentioned, we both did our LPC part-time um, on Saturdays and Sundays for almost two years. And during that time, I was a full-time banking paralegal at Osborne Clark for the Bristol, London and Reading office. So probably similar to you, my weeks and weekends were pretty full with law and not much else outside of that. Uh, and then I started my training contract in 2016, qualified in December 2018. And then I guess I was in private practice from then all the way up to including the pandemic 2020, 2021 which is when I went in-house. And then during that time, must have been the summer of 2021, because it's, I think, two years now, I started posting content on TikTok, whereas before that, in sort of 2020, I was watching a lot of content around sort of the nuances of working from home on Instagram, because it was new to so many of us, um, watching people that have now become my friends uh, through social media on their sort of channels, and then on one honestly, I don't know why, but one day in summer 21, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to download TikTok and I'm going to post a video. And honestly, I don't, don't know why I did it. I'm a middle child, so I was probably just craving attention. Um, so that's why I posted it. And it, it performed relatively well. Um, I think I had like two or three followers at the time and it just grew. And then I kept doing it and it kept growing. Uh, but I was still working full time at that time. And then by the end of 2021, I had been signing brand deals with like amazing companies. One of my uh, biggest brand partners, LinkedIn, I was working with them quite a lot on their socials amongst other incredible companies. Um, I'd been featured on a billboard with Samsung and Piccadilly Circus. Um, I'd met some amazing people, but I was balancing all of that alongside working like my full-time job. And then like opportunities like the TED talk, the TEDx talk in Bulgaria um, came around. One of my followers uh, like reached out and hit me up and who I didn't realize worked for the TEDx team in Bulgaria. And I was like, mate, do you want to do a TED talk? I was like, uh, I don't think anyone's ever said no to the opportunity yep. <laughs> to do a TED talk. So like, and I'm a, for somebody who puts themselves on social media, I'm a very anxious, nervous person in real life. Um, I get very socially awkward. Um, I find I'm not like the most difficult person to talk to, but I find being 
I'm not extrovert in any way in terms of when I put in a social situation. Uh, public speaking always I found incredibly uncomfortable. But I said, you know what, I'm going to do this TED talk because one, I've got something I'm really passionate about talking about that sort of men's mental health. And two, I think it'll be a really good like character building experiment for me. And if it goes wrong, like it's funny content. That's that's basically how I like pitched it to myself. Um, but yeah, all of that became like a lot. So, and I'm super grateful for it. And my employer who I was working with at the time when I was in-house kind of, they knew I did all of this. Um, but I was taking time off through annual leave and the like to kind of focus on like if I had to go away for an event or whatever it was. And it was really hard to give both being a lawyer and like content creation and all of that, both the levels of attention that they needed both professionally for my legal career and also the content side of things. So it would have been earlier this year, 2023, that I decided to leave my sort of full-time job as in-house legal counsel. Um, and it was really scary. It's probably one of the biggest decisions I've ever made. And I lost a lot of sleep to it because I guess like many of us, we've worked so hard to get to this level. Heck, you're a partner. So you'll, you'll know the amount of work it takes to kind of get to that level. Um, and it almost becomes your entire identity. So kind of saying goodbye to that in the capacity that I was working was almost like, I don't want to say mourning, uh, but it, it did come with like sadness, but I still practice and I practice like as a consultant. So at the moment I'm working three days a week um, on this sort of legal project, which is really nice because then I get the balance to be able to be a lawyer and use those skills alongside um, kind of being able to do all the fun sort of creative stuff, which has ultimately become a business in its own right. Like that operates as a limited company, as a business. Um, because I think that's one thing people don't realize around social media is the amount of work that goes into it behind the scenes. But yeah, I quit, I quit my job in my full-time job in January and I turned 30 at the same time. And I also broke up with my girlfriend. So that was January was a big year <laughs> this year yeah. for me, which is why I'm now that in therapy. Um, that's another story. <laughs> We'll definitely, we'll definitely revisit, revisit that. So, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned about identity. Lawyer, you know, being yeah. a lawyer is part of your identity. And I, I completely um, agree with that. And I, I don't think I've ever met any lawyer who doesn't think that, actually. Um, yes. Why did you want to work in law in the first place? Again, that's a really interesting question. Um, see, I'm kind of having, like, trying to recall when I put on my sort of UCAS, like, personal statements. Uh, all those years ago but I think it started from when I was selecting my A-levels finishing GCSEs at school and then going on to uh, select my A-levels and I think I decided three and then I was choosing one more and I didn't really know what to do so my dad actually suggested why don't you think about doing a law A-level and I'd never really like thought about it um, I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. There are like certain TV shows that I like that revolve around the law. Didn't know much about it. What was I like, 16? Um, so I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I did my AS first year law. And I think I got like 100% in both the exams, the summer and the January exam. I was like, oh, okay, wow. this must be good. Must be good flex. Uh, it must be great. <laughs> yeah, I was like, am I a lawyer already? <laughs> 
so then I obviously did the second year and my law tutor was great and actively encouraged me to then go on and apply to uh, go on to study law at university, help me prep for like the LNAP law admissions test, amongst other things. And I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the problem solving like aspect of it because we got given scenarios about if this happened, what would you do? And then just learning all around that. And then I went into uni to carry on my studies in the law. And I think at that point, I started to realize that naively, naively I didn't really know much about um, practicing law in like practice, professionally even, because I, at A-level, you're kind of just taught you're either a solicitor or a barrister. And then that fed, like, it didn't really go much more around how you got into that. And then through university is when I kind of understood, okay, I need this thing called a training contract. How do I get that? And then I started um, applying for them. And I remember having my very first, like, assessment day kind of thing with one of the big city firms. I had no idea what to expect this was all completely new to me i probably didn't do the research i should have done because it was all quite overwhelming um like none of my immediate family are lawyers so i didn't really have um much to go on and sort of legal influences legal content creation wasn't a thing at the time so i remember being dropped off to the train station that morning to go to uh wherever their offices were in central london from bristol and we were in the car and I remember being told, Henners, are you sure you don't want to put a suit on? I was just wearing like corduroy trousers and a button down shirt with like a pullover. Because like, guys, like, because I walked through, like I'd been told I was good and academically performing. I thought I would just show up um, and it wouldn't be that intense. But then I walked through this firm's door and everybody was immaculate. And I remember the graduate recruitment lady at the end of the session uh, like the intro session saying and I was sat in like the first or second row and she said something along the lines of if you don't have a suit I recommend getting one um, I was like well I do have one <laughs> I just didn't think this would be the setting like naively didn't think this would be the setting uh, but then it got to like the networking lunch where you network with the other like people on the day and current trainees and honestly hardly anybody spoke to me uh, and I wouldn't have spoken to me. I was like, who is this loser that has put in no prep um, or whatever? And yeah, it was a very uncomfortable day, but lesson learned, which is why it's so good that we have like legal content creation now and people can explain more around the process. So you kind of know what to expect because it is daunting. It's really interesting about the suits. I, I mean, lawyers traditionally wear suits. I um, I did some training my very first role which was um at an insurer i worked in their procurement department but they had yeah. someone who really knew about sales come in and talk to the procurement team about sales mm. and because i was there um i was um um i was like writing contracts for buying loo roll or whatever it was Lovely. um and um <laughs> i got yeah i got to go to the sessions um that they put on and they were talking about um the power of presentation so mm. what you're wearing, as in that rather than the speaking about doing a presentation and how yes. it's critically important to know who your client is and how your client 
perceives it. So a lot of people, and I still don't now, would expect the lawyer to turn up in a suit, a dark suit and a tie because mm. it's court dress. And that if you don't, it makes them uneasy. But he gave mm. the example of one, and I won't tell you which company it is, but one very well-known company um, where if you turn up in a suit, they won't let you have the meeting um, because it's so out of their culture. And you yeah. need to turn up in shorts and T-shirt and jeans and a T-shirt. And if you do that, then you understand them. Um, and then they're, they're willing to work with you. But if you don't understand that, you're never going to understand the rest of the business. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just remember being in the car, being dropped off, like, guys, no, no suit needed here. It's not that kind of vibe. Um, but then I feel like my dress or my attire or my, my lack thereof has kind of followed me. I remember being, when I was a trainee in my banking and finance it was in the summer and we had one of those like insanely hot, spells and i think the firm was selling or offering out ice creams which is great but all i want is some like i just want to be in swim shorts and get some air conditioning on so one day i came into the office wearing like a, i think a polo or a shirt or like short sleeve shirt and just some like smart um like shorts and honestly that as, as like a second seat trainee um the was the talk of the office like who is this kid and who, well, he's got the audacity to wear shorts and i remember my supervising partner uh who was an absolute dude such a great guy i uh, still is uh, <laughs> and <laughs> he just said like <laughs> um like you can't like wear shorts in into the office like that's not a done thing which again that was a mindset thing back then uh, i'm not seeing anybody like it's just you guys it's fine uh it wasn't fine uh, for, for that organization, which I get. But now, unless you're meeting a like a corporate client, I, I don't know, I'm just sat in a t-shirt wearing a pair of shorts. And if I ever go into the office, I usually go into the office like every other week. I don't, I still like dress smartly, but I wouldn't dream of wearing like a formal sort of shirt and trousers and uh, shoes. Heck, I haven't polished a pair of sort of work shoes since... I followed some the other day, but because I seem to get them covered in mud, I don't know how. I every time I wear my, sh- my, my proper shoes, I get them covered in mud. Yeah, I agree with completely with the the dress code point. So I I, mm. I tend to I'm I'm wearing relaxed clothes now. Um, I'm not in the office. Mm. I could wear what I'm wearing right now in the office if they let me not wear shoes. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, I have to wear shoes if I go to the office, um, which is fair yeah. enough, I guess. It's part <laughs> yeah, of it's reasonable of work being serious place for 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 the industry that we're in mm. um, whether it actually makes any difference or not is a is a different question and i i would say the view that if i know my clients are going to be in jeans i'll be in jeans but because of yeah. the training that i had on general business sales years and years ago and i, I always remember that there was a meeting that i wasn't expecting to go to and this was a few years ago and i turned up in what at best could be described as a scrappy t-shirt and jeans and a pair of trainers because <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be in the meeting I was just in the office and yeah. I then got asked to come to this meeting and everyone else in the meeting from the the legal side that were all dressed in suits and all of the clients were dressed like I was and so and yeah. I had a great time because because <laughs> yeah. I just yeah you, you immediately yeah, build a record I'm not a stuffy lawyer I'm not one I'm one mm. of them but I'm one of you as well and it's interesting yeah. how that mattered it's in the same way that if you write a piece of advice and you have lots of spelling mistakes in, in it people think less of the advice it makes no difference to what the advice actually is but the I presentation of it matters 
So just on the, I had this discussion the other day because somebody raised it with me. If, say, for example, you receive, let's just say, um, a, a legal draft from your solicitor on the other side, and it came to you, and rather than saying, um, do not um, act, um, whatever, do not, um, and if that, if you, if you saw basically a, a word that then had an apostrophe in, um, or like you had the word don't, can't, what would be, would, would you think less of that person's technical legal abilities or would you just think, cool, like plain English drafting, we're here for that? So uh, I have two answers. You're not going to like them. One is, yes, I'd immediately um, yes, think less of them. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but the second part is, the, then I would immediately think that's stupid and you should underestimate people at your peril. Um, but my initial reaction is I think less of them, which is ridiculous. And yeah, no, no, what no. I can't pinpoint is why. Yes. I, I that's uh, the so I I used uh contraction of some some sort and I'd never thought about it until the person who I was working with in the team was like, Oh mate, like legally it makes no difference, but if you send this to this specific like firm, client, whatever, they're going to think less of your drafting, particularly because I'm well, like three, four years qualified. You're a junior, it's just easy ammunition for them to um cast doubt on the rest of your um like legal points or proposed proposed amendments. So I find that interesting, that psychology behind it. I agree completely. And I've got a, a story where I was in court. Um, I'm going to have to try and phrase this carefully so it was not identifiable about who, which judge it was. But a judge... <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to who, do it. <laughs> um, a judge who I was in, in front of, I, I had had to email him that morning was something that had happened with an additional document which he had asked for in advance yeah and he couldn't find it because he his technical ability with the computer was let's say less than i might have hoped it had been mm -hmm. so in the hearing he wanted to look at this because we referred to it yeah um my in fact my opponent referred to it i didn't and i and um i said oh yes that's what i sent you this morning judge yeah and <laughs> full stop he then full stop he then had what can be described as a a diatribe of insults for me because he couldn't find it and what he was complaining about was the order of the the subject title so i had ordered it in the way that you're meant to when you email the court with a court reference number and then the case number mm. and then what it is and he had a proper go at me in court, which my opponent, I have to say, found absolutely hilarious because it, it was farcical. <laughs> but in court, that happens. You just kind of have to roll with it. About the phraseology of this email title. And it, the point then went against me because I had annoyed him by the phraseology of the email uh -huh. title, which had nothing to do with anything, not anything yeah. at all. And so yeah. if that is what the top-down position is, I can see why my initial gut reaction, mm. having been trained that precision is incredibly important, um, would be the default position because ultimately that is mm. what it is in court and unfortunately yeah. spelling mistakes make massive differences in 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 some situations and mm. commas and grammar and things like that make huge differences in contracts so precision yeah. is really important and that's something is drilled into you during legal training yeah no i i, I completely agree and obviously there is this huge shift right now for the plain english drafting to kind of cut out i guess more so like 
overly complicated like drafting or even the use of sort of latin i know some some like sometimes it's nice just to drop in a like mutatis mutandis here and there because like flex i know what that means <laughs> but do you know what sort of... i don't <laughs> well phil <laughs> I'll tell you after. Um, and just, just <laughs> that's your homework. Get back to me and tell me when you found out what it means. Um, I'll be Googling but, right now during that. I won't be listening to you. Yeah, I'll just yeah, be on Google. Yeah. Um, putting that into a contract is it's less of a thing nowadays because it's unnecessarily complex. Or if you're giving it to, say, a lay person or whatever, or somebody who's going to pick this contract up and they're like, well, what does that even mean? Uh, what is the t- intention behind that? If you can't just pick up a clause and read it and say, okay, cool. Yeah, that's fine. Because ultimately, if there's a dispute in a contract, it will go to court and the court's going to look at what is the intention behind that drafting. If you can't on the face of it say, okay, it means this, then you're going to get more ambiguity and more confusion. So I can see why um, that is. But then... Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I just found it interesting when we had the conversation no, it, the other day. It's a really interesting point. I had a, I had a, a, a lecture, I can't, 10 years ago plus, um, where the person giving the lecture was a diplomat or a retired diplomat. And he spoke okay. every language on earth. Love he was that. American. And he yeah. had worked in all sorts of places at various embassies and been at all sorts of networking events. And what he was talking about was globalization. That was the the general talk. But as part of that, he was talking about meaning of words and how language is about conveying meaning. Language, Mm -hmm. that's the purpose of language, to convey what you mean. And that can be done in many ways. And he gave loads of examples on his slide that were terribly funny about the Chinese who had written what they thought was the English of something but it wasn't yeah. and actually what they'd written was very funny um in english but to the chinese what they were doing was conveying what it means as in the chinese yeah. which i can't read i can read the english and whilst i whilst it's not the correct use of those, those words i understood completely what it meant mm. yeah. and so his point was it's as long as you can convey meaning how you do that is mm. actually irrelevant it's not the important point. And it, get, it get, ties into what you've just said about contracts, the meaning of the words, and that's why precision is important. But I can read the same words four or five different ways, depending on how I speak them. That's how, we, yeah. that's how language works. And so conveying mm. the correct meaning is the hard job. And I, and hopefully my clients who, who hear this will agree, I hope, <laughs> do my very best to turn legal nonsense into English and yeah. try and make what could be a complex set of parameters or laws or, or whatever it is sound as simple as possible because simple concepts are understandable for everybody. And if you don't understand mm. simple complex co- concepts, you're not going to understand complex ones. And yeah. generally speaking, as a lawyer, you deal with complex issues. And the reason you need a lawyer is because the issue is complex. So distilling yeah. it down to... <laughs> some simple points that are comprehensible is i think yeah. probably one of, the, one of the most important jobs of all lawyers regardless of whether you're a litigator or whether you're in-house whether you advise mm. whether you it doesn't really matter it's about distilling problems into understandable chunks which people can then understand 
We've, yeah, off, we've gone off topic there a bit. But, yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah, um, it's, it's an issue. I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about content creation. How did yes. content creation become the major part of your data? Do you know what? It's really funny. We spoke about sort of lawyers and like it becoming your identity. Maybe I'm in some kind of like identity crisis flux, but when I meet people for the first time, depending on who I'm meeting and how I'm meeting with the situation depends on how I introduce myself rather than like, hi, I'm Henry, the lawyer, or hi, I'm Henry. I'm like, like a social media, like content creator, public speaker, whatever. Um, so, so that's, that's quite interesting. That Have you ever introduced yourself as a, hi, I'm Henry, a public speaker. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Henry. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> no. Um, although, uh, so I mentioned earlier that again, slight tangent, um, but is relevant to this point that I broke up with my girlfriend earlier this year and I recently joined like dating app because I'm like, you know what, let's, let's see what this is about. And it's really interesting that a lot of the girls that I'm, a lot of the girls, like <laughs> as if there's loads, there isn't. There's <laughs> a shout out not. to all women who want to get to know Henry. <laughs> Please message yeah. him. On. Yeah, slide into the DM. No, but then you get the, hey, like, I recognize you from Instagram on TikTok and stuff, which to me, it's still baffling that people see what I put out there. And obviously, I know that people see it because you get the metrics and it's um, all of that. But it still feels weird when somebody actively says, um, like, hi, yeah, I saw you. Or, hi, my housemate really likes what you do. Um, or, oh, it's so weird to meet you in person. And to me, that's, it's great because obviously means like people are watching the content and I'm super grateful for that, but it still makes me feel somewhat uncomfortable because I'm like, Oh, on my like profile, I thought I'm a lawyer. Um, because I don't want to be like, Hey, I'm that guy. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to your question. That was a slight digression that having I, the point around content creation being a big part of my life. Yes. I would absolutely agree that, um, it is, and it, it's a lot of what I spend my time doing is around content creation, social media strategy, uh, public speaking, public speaking events, prepping for that, um, cons- doing some consultancy work around helping sort of organizations use social media. Because it's not, if when we were in the LPC together and you would have said to me, mate, in a few years' time, do you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be doing like public speaking, TED Talks, and making videos on the internet. I said, Phil, mate, like, are you hungover or something? Like, what's going on? Like, that's not going to happen. I wouldn't have ever expected my career to go down the way that it has. And it's been so nice. And it almost makes you feel like you, just because you're doing one thing, doesn't mean you always have to do that one thing. You can like I thought that I would always be a lawyer. I didn't think I necessarily wanted to be a partner. I learned that quite early on. Um, but I would have been so content just being like a full-time lawyer. And I would have just carried on doing that because it is such a respectable profession. I've met so many amazing people through doing that. And I've also had the opportunity opportunity to do some amazing work. But I think because of the experiences I had, through my time primarily private practice it was quite isolating in sort of some of the stuff that i experienced 
So then having this new kind of roots and almost creative outlet has been such a nice way to create and be part of the community that are actively trying to make positive changes. And also it's such a, it's, it's hard work. And if you would have asked me outside of being a content creator, oh, like it's easy. All they do is like dance and post a video and whatever until you're actually kind of in that space, you don't actually realize how much effort goes into that. And you'll probably find the same with the podcast is you just listen to a podcast and you're like, that's sick, that's easy. Until you start doing it and you're involved, you're like, whoa, wow, that's a lot. Uh, is being a content creator more challenging than being a solicitor? I think they are different challenges. Um, but there, there are a lot of useful skills and what i love seeing at the moment is the almost the rise of a lot of the legal press have spoken about this like legal influencers legal content creators whether that's a good thing whether that's a bad thing some publications say good some say bad i'm pro massive advocate for it a lot of firms want juniors trainees potential trainees to be commercially aware if you are if you take my content creation, creating content, you are it's being monetized in a way that you've got brands reaching out to you, you're negotiating contracts, you're amending contracts, you're advocating for yourself and your position through doing that. You are basically running a business. I don't think you can get much more commercially aware than actually being in a business, running a business, negotiating contracts. And if you've got a junior who is comfortable enough doing that then you can be sure that with the right training and the right support and the right departments that they will be able to do that for your firm's clients because they have that commercial awareness over and above just reading about fracking in the ft or something um or the latest like interest rates actually living commercial awareness is an amazing skill to have but then in terms of sort of soft skills, I guess, being able to talk to clients and um, present and convey, as you mentioned, like complex situations in a relatively easy way, putting out content on social media, whether that's text or video, you need to be able to convey a message or a story in a certain way. And there's sort of overlap around that, having sort of social skills, being able to kind of control and talk sort of filter what you say and how you say it and putting in those boundaries are applicable skills. But yeah, they're both challenging, but in different ways, but they're also both great in different ways. The skills crossover, I hadn't really thought about, but it, it, the example of demonstrating commercial awareness is, is brilliant. It perfectly sums up what one of the benefits may be if you run mm. a successful um, content creation platform and the difference between actually doing something and reading about it and that's always one of the problems for um, early applications for people who are at university before university when they want a, a, certainly a, a job on the solicitor side of it rather than at the bar mm. necessarily uh, how do you demonstrate commercial awareness because you, yeah. knowledge is a test you can just gain more knowledge by learning you just learn it that's not yeah. the hard bit of being a lawyer just learn it 
um, assuming you have a certain level of just ability learn to learn. And it, but it doesn't, it's not it's not that high. It just takes you longer yeah. to learn. Most uh, yeah. unless you're doing top end tax or trust law, most law mm. is pretty simple, and yeah. most of it is written in English once you understand how it's written. So yeah. once you can get past the basic knowledge test, it's then all about skills. So mm. commercial awareness is one. Soft skills was an interesting one you just touched on. We when we spoke previously, we were talking about having. I, I've almost always been managed by females. And I think that gives me a completely different approach to what it would have been if I'd been managed by men. And um, my soft skills are definitely improved from having a female manager. And that is one of the critical points because empathy is the skill that you have Mm. to have as a lawyer. It's one that gets overlooked regularly because if you don't have empathy, how will you possibly understand what's important to your client? So I, what I, other I skills are there that you want? I think, obviously, you need to be technically able. But as we spoke about earlier, we have all gone through the same courses. We have all qualified as lawyers uh, or in the process of, and knowledge can be learned. So if there is a, is a gap in somebody's knowledge, you can, you can fix that. But I think one of the biggest traits that, I find such value in is is that person a nice person and I think that's such an underrated um, skill is just being able to be a nice person I wouldn't say that I am the most like technically advanced lawyer obviously I can do the job I understand most like commercial contracts concepts but I'm not thinking outside of the box in terms of new ways of drafting i will like do the job do it to the best of my ability and that's it but what i think are the skills that i have that make me like somewhat successful in being a lawyer and like everything else is that like i'm easy to work with if i say i'm going to do something i do it if there's a deadline that i said i'm going to do something by i will do it by that and i'm easy to get along with and I think having that work ethic and those skills and abilities are so valuable in both the legal profession and beyond. Because if you're easy to work with, if you get the job done and you say you're going to do stuff by when you're going to do it, other people within the firm, clients are going to be like, oh, he's a nice guy and he does what he says he's going to do. Let's use him again. Let's get him on more projects. Let's get this person involved. And I think you don't have to be a dick to get far. Like you can still be a nice person and you will still go like pretty far, if not further. Yeah. You, people forget that people employ people. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to employ someone to work with in any job, you're going to spend a lot of time with them almost inevitably. Yes. If you're going to employ a future lawyer to work with you, you're definitely going to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. And if, you're not a nice person or if you're not easy to get along with then it you are less likely to be employable and that has mm. nothing to do with any of the other skills of being a good lawyer being able to stand your ground it being probably one of the most important you can mm. say no in lots of different ways and the best yeah. lawyers that i know say no really nicely 
Yes. They, and I know they mean no. The same way if someone screamed no at me, they say yes. no. I know no means no. And they might be nice as pie. They'll do a smile on my f- mm. their face. They might hand me a beer while they're doing it. Psychopath. But no means no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's really inter- those those soft interpersonal skills are, are absolutely critical to your success. Yeah, I- and, and they come across like they come across in your content. I mean, it's, mm. it's funny and witty. Humor is fantastically important in, in any, every walk. Just, just, just on that humor point, though, I think it's probably why I found content creation is that in a lot of my reviews, is sort of a paralegal and a trainee. Uh, they're like, "This guy's great, flex. Uh, like he's good at his job. He's great to be around." <laughs> but the the one thing that I was always told to work on was when to employ my like great sense of humor uh, and when to crack a joke, because again, it is a professional profession. Um, and that was something that I was learning to work on, or I was trying to practice was when to bring in that sense of humor. Uh, and I think I used it as a coping mechanism largely for when I was in comfortable in situations um but it was something i was trying to be more cautious of which now having a social platform it kind of in that's the outlet for that so obviously i'm not going to walk into a client meeting like let's 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 go and like crack a joke or whatever um and you can still have like jokes and laughs and banter with your colleagues but knowing when to do that is something that i've definitely had to work on Do you think that work from home has had a positive or a negative impact on the profession? Uh, If I talk about it from my perspective, so in 2020, when we were mandated to work from home, the week before that, I was about to quit the private practice job that I was in because the environment I was in was so hostile and toxic and it was affecting me so much. I didn't physically want to be in the office or around that environment that was making my life so almost unbearable. But then then Boris Johnson said, no, guys, you're going to work from home from next week. So I had to work from home and I instantly felt, and I'd moved back with my parents at that time because I just moved from another city back to Bristol and working from home was great because it kept me out of that environment that was so hostile and uncomfortable. It was almost like a safe haven where I could just breathe and do my work. And if I felt uncomfortable, it was just a phone call or a video call. I could just slam the laptop down after and be like, mum, dad, did you hear that? What a twat. Um, Or if something went well, you could just, I was almost sheltered from that toxic environment. So I, I liked working from home a lot. Now that I work at an organization that I have a really supportive team and they're great, I will go into the office to see them. And I think being in the office does have its benefits because you get to physically be around people because working from home all the time, whilst it's great because you don't have to commute 
you get the flexibility to go to the gym, do whatever it is you do during the day, uh, to have that work-life balance. For a lot of people, they can be working by themselves because their partner's in another room or they're in the office or their children are at school, whatever it may be. So you're not physically around people, so you can get sort of quite lonely and demotivated. But for a lot of people, um, there are pros and cons both ways. And I think a hybrid approach, a flexible approach should be adopted by employees, be, uh, employers, sorry, because one set way of you will come in every Monday, Wednesday and Friday doesn't work for everybody. So as long as employers and employees are having open and meaningful conversations, if there's a meeting, of course, that person's going to be physically present for that meeting if that meeting requires that. But I don't think we should be having really rigid structures when and where people should be working. Do you think that people who work from home will suffer in the long term compared to people who don't, as in their career? Um, it, it's hard to say because, again, it depends on how much your employer trusts its employees. But I, I don't think it's fair to say that somebody working from home is any less capable than somebody working from the office. Um, so what if they don't want to go to after work drinks? So what if they don't want to go to the team lunch? Like for some people, they just go to work to do the Not job. Don't want yeah, to, can't yeah, go to the yeah, afternoon they, they can't physically do it or they don't, for whatever reason, I don't think that should be to their professional detriment because they're still doing the same job. They just choose to be somewhere else for whatever reason that may be. How do you think you develop like the soft skills we've been talking about then if you are working remotely more than in the office? I, so when I interviewed for the current position that I have, one of the questions that they asked was, how will you, because the team that I work for are based in a different city, how will you embed yourself within this team? Like, How will you like be part of this team if you're not physically present all the time? And I think it's just about making proactive steps to engage with your team, to obviously join the team meetings, to utilize the tools that your firm has in terms of team slack and engaging in those conversations, just taking 15 minutes to uh, make a coffee and call one of your coworkers when they're free, just to chat um, and and have that in the same way as you would in the office, you would physically go up to someone's desk and that will make you want to go and get a, like a coffee or something and have a chat or if you walk into the bathroom uh you'll chat with somebody so almost just employ those those skills but again not everybody wants to um be super social in their work environment and they will develop those skills outside of that organization through other social events that they do uh like gym classes or other sort of extracurricular classes um that they do let's change topic slightly let's talk about what i'm going to loosely call always on culture um yes. i i'm assuming you, you 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 understand what i mean in the sense of people always being connected always being on the phones never getting to switch off never taking a rest mm. you know downtime being sitting down with your phone never turning yes. it off how do you think that affects 
people's careers? That's interesting because when I was doing sort of full-time being a lawyer and also doing social media and content creation and events, I would work my normal lawyer hours Monday to Friday. And then as soon as I would log off, right, it's like it's content creation time, it's time to negotiate, it's brand contracts. I need to get a train to this event to be there for X, like X time. And then I do that on the weekends as well. So I was manning two full-time jobs and that had such a negative impact on my life. Whilst the social media stuff didn't seem like a job and I've only ever done it for fun is it consumes so much of my time. I was either on my work computer or I was on my personal computer doing work or on my phone. And I think it got to a point where I did uh, burnouts because I was always on and it was draining. And I probably wasn't the best person to be around. I'll openly admit that I was uh, not in a great way. But where we've just got the, we just then take the legal profession, we've got this culture of making sure that your team status is constantly green. Or because you're working from home, it means you're readily available because you've got your laptop there. And I think for a time, particularly in COVID, when we didn't really have much else to do anyway, people would always be on or available because all we really could do was work or go on a one-hour daily walk or just queue up at a supermarket. Um, But I think we're getting more and more um, into a state where work-life balance is becoming more of a priority. We're seeing in people's email footers that say, because I've emailed out of outside of working hours, doesn't mean I expect a response. These hours work for me. They may not work for me, for you, sorry. So again, it comes down and it is difficult. And for a lot of organizations, it needs to be led by the top down. If you're seeing the senior people in your team online, like 9 p.m. every single night, then subconsciously, rightly or wrongly, you're going to feel like you have to in order to sort of progress or to keep up with that team. So um, some people like being on all the time. Some people don't. But it's making sure that nobody ever feels forced to work in a way that isn't conducive to a productive working environment for them. The obvious impact of always on culture is deteriorating mental health because you just never rest how do you manage your mental health that's um the point you mentioned about resting or not being able to rest is actually something i mentioned recently uh with my therapist saying that even when i'm just trying to sit down like i will intentionally schedule schedule an evening where i am not doing anything my only intention for that evening is to watch that tv show And even just sitting there for 45 to 50 minutes to watch a TV show, I'm just thinking about what's next. What do I need to be doing? I'm picking up my phone, I'm scrolling, I'm sending emails from my phone rather than watching the show. So I'm like, right, I need to put my phone somewhere else. But then all I'm thinking is I need to get it. I need to check, like, where are those notifications? What if that email comes in? So I think it does negatively impact our mental health. So I'm trying to be more strict with um, sort of work-life balance. I won't take my phone to bed with me um, so I don't just lay there and scroll. I 
try and spend less time on it. This week, for example, I, well, last week I realized that I wasn't enjoying content creation. Why am I not enjoying it? Because I felt like I was doing it because I had to do it, not because I was enjoying it. Um, and again, that comes with, like, I say that with an element of privilege that I get to do that. And also it's being monetized through like as a business, but it's still work and I wasn't enjoying it. And I always said that I will do this whilst I enjoy it. So I have taken this week off of creating content, making content, editing content, video sort of content, because I think it's good and healthy to take steps or step back from something. Even if you love what you do, taking that break um, is great. And I find that when sort of my mental well-being is deteriorating, I don't exercise. I regress to unhealthy eating habits. Um, I don't really leave or go out or see people. And I instantly feel awful. But I recognize that when I start doing those things, I'm not in a great way. So I need to start taking steps like going out, seeing people, exercising, eating better to kind of and take those breaks to kind of bring myself to a state where I feel like better within myself, which is something I've it's taken years to learn and get to and recognize, but that's what works for me. Just finally, what's your long-term career goal? That's a great question. And one I always try and avoid answering because if I'm being completely honest, I don't know uh, what I'm going to be doing. If you would have asked me five years ago, would I be doing this? Uh, this being a TED talk or being on billboards in New York and London and public speaking and content creation i would have said that's not in my plan i will just be a lawyer and i think i will always be attached to the law in some way because it's a profession i love and respect and want to hopefully have a positive impact um within to make some positive changes but how that looks i honestly couldn't couldn't tell you and that's i think that's what's so exciting is and that's what I've realized that you don't always have to know what's next or what you're doing. It's going on that journey and discovering where is this going to take me? Who knows? That that's the fun in it. I think that's a really healthy attitude to have because nobody knows what's coming down the barrel mm. towards them. Yeah. And worrying about the future makes people very anxious. Everyone has a natural yes. worry. I'm just thinking about one of the things I never used to worry about was um, particularly was about the long-term effects of my offspring. Until you have mm. um, a child, then you suddenly think, oh my God, what's the world going to be like for their children? <laughs> what a word. <laughs> so it's something now that I, you know, it's, it's, it makes me anxious thinking about it, but yeah. you have to manage that. And that's something I have almost no control over. But your career, mm. you have a bit more control over. But being able to take a step back and say, okay, it'll, it'll there'll be some twists and some turns. And it, they're okay. And I'll roll with them. And you've gone such yeah. a long way since we've met. Like Nobody would have predicted that we'd be doing a podcast right now, let alone you yeah. doing a TED Talk. Let alone you being on billboards in America. That's, that's absolutely bonkers. Mm. And it just shows how you wow. kind of have to roll with it. And out of some really tough times that you've described, you can have some incredible opportunities and the old adage of it's always darkest before the dawn comes to mind. Yeah. 
percent. Yeah, it's 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 really funny how kind of full circle this has come for you and me in terms of the capacities uh, that we're now talking to um, each other in. But it just goes to show, as you just said, it's something I never take for granted that all of this, like being able to speak to you and on this platform in this way, and everything that's come alongside what I do has come from a negative experience and being able to thankfully turn that into something positive and hopefully pay it forwards in a way that encourages more people to openly and comfortably talk about their experiences and what they go through um, is something I kind of never try and lose sight of. I think that's a great, a great point to leave it. Th- Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's just been brilliant to catch up. It's, it, it's so insightful. Um, just hearing yeah. your experiences positive and negative is so valuable and i agree the more we share negative experiences and talk about how we dealt with them and accept Mm. and publish that we have had them i think the better we'll all be and known just the legal profession but we'll all be is there anything else you'd like to add no nothing it's just been really nice to chat to you catch up uh (laughs) you didn't have kids the last time we physically met each other and i (laughs) wasn't doing all of this stuff so look at us now I know. cheers I imagine to what it'd be bpp like in... bristol yeah, yeah. <laughs> big shout out to bpp bristol there um yeah. <laughs> so if you'd like to hear more from henry um do check him out on his various social media platforms just search at that corporate laura um or follow him on linkedin tiktok mm. instagram youtube see him on a billboard everywhere, yeah watch yeah. his TED, tedx talk like a rat literally everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> yeah and for, for what it's worth, I hope you keep doing it as long as you want to do it. And I, I saw your LinkedIn update yesterday, actually, when you said you're going to take a, give yourself a week off. And I, I thought it was the most powerful evidence, actually, of controlling what you want to do and mm. not feeling obliged. I, it resonated immediately with me. Um, so yeah. um, I'm delighted that you fit this in just before you take some time out. Um, yeah, thank you so much. All that's left for me to say is thank you for joining us today and I will see you in the next one. Goodbye.